Secretary. All right, uh, I'll uh, sort of explain these uh, three sheets. Uh, descendants of Jacob, I only did Levi, and uh, I ran out of patience. <laughs> but it just gives you an idea. I went as far as Moses. And then Jacob's sons and grandsons on this sheet in order, in order of their age. And then Jacob's 12 sons and the mothers that bore them. Okay? All right, so now we're ready to roll, I think. Well, good morning again, and welcome to our Family Bible Hour. Last week, we were ministered to by our brother Matt Phillips on the book of the Revelation with chapter 13 as our main text, and we looked at the image of the beast. We're looking forward to his continued ministry on that book. This morning, we will be starting a new series of studies, this time on the book of Exodus. Again, it is a very long book, 40 chapters in all, so I imagine it shall take me at least a couple of years for us to get through this as well. I've decided to go with Exodus because it is a natural continuance of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis shows us how God formed the world for himself, while Exodus shows us how God formed the nature or the nation of Israel for himself. Exodus comes from the Greek meaning a departure or an exit. And so this book informs us of how God delivered his people Israel out of bondage from Egypt and how he nurtured them in the desert and how he instituted the law and the ordinances for their worship. It's also a book of redemption, which is filled with types and pictures of Christ, more so than any other book of the Old Testament. And the pivotal chapter, of course, is chapter 12, which deals with the institution and significance of the Passover. In this amazing book, we are taught about the giving of the law and the provisions of sacrifice and the priesthood and the importance of the tabernacle in the daily life of the fledgling Jewish nation. Everything in the tabernacle from the materials used in its construction to the furniture and vessels used in the sacrifices as well as the priests and their clothing, all speak of our Savior, his person, and his work of salvation on our behalf. So without any more delay, would you all please turn with me to the first chapter of Exodus, which will serve as our main text for this morning. And once again, Luke, thank you very much for reading that chapter for us. But as always, before we begin, let's turn to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful to be here again this morning. We thank you for the tremendous time that we were able to be with our Lord Jesus at his table this morning. 
And as we open up uh, a new chapter in the book of uh, Exodus this morning, we pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to thrill our hearts with the things that we discover and will point us to everything that reminds us of our blessed Savior. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Now the first verse of Exodus begins with the word now and then goes on to list the generations of Jacob. And what we often may not be aware of is that when Moses first penned these books, as the Lord dictated to him the details, they were written as one book without any chapter or verse divisions as we know them today. So this was just, so to speak, a continuance of the book of Exodus. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. You will notice that we are given all 12 sons, but that they are not in the order of their ages. So what I have done is to give you some printouts that should help you to keep things in a more simpler outline. The scriptures always include different details in different chapters and books, forcing us to study each book carefully if we are to get everything straight. So these three sheets, hopefully, that you have received this morning, uh, I would like for you to keep with you in your Bibles for future reference. So if you can just fold them in half once and then keep them in your Bibles, you'll find that they will come in very handy in our study of Exodus later on as well. And don't be surprised to receive more handouts along the way as we progress with this book. Exodus is a book that is filled, as I said before, with pictures and types of Christ. So I would like for us to really know this book well. Please notice also that there is a huge time period between verses 6 and 7. After Joseph died, there may have been as many as 10 generations of children and grandchildren born. It would have had to have been so because the scriptures tell us that the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. During this time period, that little group of 70 souls has grown into the millions, for we learn that the number of years which the children of Israel dwelt in Egypt at the time of their exodus was about 430 years. A very long time for them to multiply and to fill the land. And by the way, if you ever want to disprove an old earth, that is millions of years ago, if you're good in mathematics and you tackle it from the view of population, world population, that mathematical uh, conclusion will come to the end 
that this earth is less than 7,000 years ago. Otherwise, we would have in the hundreds of billions of people today. I thought I'd just throw that in as an aside. During that time period, that 430 years, there were several different pharaohs in succession. And the further that time marched on, the less was remembered of Joseph and his family and his rescuing Egypt from starvation during those terrible years of famine. And so we read in verse 8, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. There we have the reason why Pharaoh, in particular, placed the children of Israel under bondage. Because, he said in verses 9 and 10, they have become so numerous and so mighty that if a war were to ever break out, then they might turn against us and join our enemies. But then he also says something very significant at the end of verse 10. And so get them up out of the land. In other words, leave. Now, why would he be worried if Israel, uh, so to speak, were to pack up and leave, war or no war? I believe we have ample reason to deduce that it was the very same reason why Israel is so hated everywhere today, as they have been throughout all history, because God had chosen them as his people. And as such, he had made a covenant with them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that covenant included growth into a mighty nation and prosperity that exceeded any other nations on this earth. Jealousy is the plague of fallen mankind. Try however hard we may to conceal it. We cannot do it unless if by the grace of God we become a new creature and have been born again by the Spirit of God, then we may have hope and victory of overcoming the deeds of the flesh, such as jealousy, envy, idolatry, etc. And so the Pharaoh put Israel under bondage and afflicted them. He had them toil, building cities and monuments and toiling in the fields. And we are told the more that he afflicted them, the more they multiplied. And when that did not stop their multiplying, he ordered the midwives to murder all the male babies born to the Hebrews. Verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Sifra, and the name of the other 
Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Wickedness in high places knows no limit to evil which they do. And there is no greater crime perpetrated among mankind than to willfully kill children and babies. These innocent and defenseless beings, who were all created in the image and likeness of the Almighty God, reflect the state of a nation's moral compass. Nations that cherish and protect their children will always prosper and endure. But a nation that promotes and even finances the killing of such innocents defy the Almighty God himself and bring upon them swift destruction and demise to their nation. For he himself declared in Matthew 18, 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. But the midwives were afraid of God. They were believers, it seems, in the true living God, and their faith may have been in its most basic and infant stages, but they nonetheless feared God and spared the male children even at the risk of losing their own lives. They chose to obey God rather than man. And when they were called to task in verses 18 to 19, they gave Pharaoh the following answer, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Now what they were telling the Pharaoh here was, that the Hebrew women bear their children so quickly that there was not even time to get there during the birthing process. God, who is able to do all things, may have even intervened somewhat during all of this as well. Nevertheless, because of these loyal midwives, we are told that the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. Verse 20. Now, we should point out here, too, that these two midwives, uh, Shifra and Pua, were but the chief representatives of the midwives, and they were not necessarily Hebrews themselves, but were called that because they were used for that service by the Hebrew women, and as such, Pharaoh had no qualms about commanding them to kill the males. Otherwise, were they all Hebrews, then there would certainly have been some natural opposition and conflict to his commandment. But the important thing to notice here is that regardless of these midwives' cultural background, the two chief midwives protected the babies by God's grace. This was the time of Moses' birth, as we shall soon discover in the next chapter, some 80 years before Moses delivers Israel 
out of Egypt. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses, verse 22. That is, God blessed them for their kindness to the Hebrew mothers. He built them houses, meaning he built them up into families and blessed their children, prospering them in all that they did. We must remember that God always keeps his word, and so here we see the evidence of that. The Bible tells us in Genesis 12, 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. But Pharaoh, seeing that the Israelites claimed or continued to multiply, he then decreed in verse 22 a general charge to all the Egyptians, all his people, that every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. See how those who are the true enemies of the one true living God always manifest themselves through their evil deeds. Their common fruit is always to hurt and to destroy the innocent children as Pharaoh attempted to do here or as Herod did in Matthew 2.16 in an attempt to prevent the coming of the Messiah or how this evil has spread worldwide in the killing of unborn children called abortion. Many are even now toying with the idea of murdering newborn babies who may have some defect and the mothers give them permission to do so. And if you don't think that's the case, that's exactly what happened in the New York State just recently proposed by the Democratic Party to kill children that are already born and unwanted. But praise be to God, Trump overruled that. But God sees, God carefully takes note of how his little ones are treated, and he shall take vengeance upon those who abuse and destroy them. They will all face the justice of God sooner or later, as we shall see. And so we come to the end of our message for this morning. A very short chapter to begin the book of Exodus, but a very important one nonetheless. Lord willing, we shall continue to study together the book of Exodus in the coming weeks. And it is my hope that we might all be drawn closer to our first love, the Lord Jesus, as we rediscover the extraordinary lengths that our Savior has gone through to show us our need and his love for each one of us in the redemption story which culminated at the cross of Calvary. But now, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you once again where you stand before a holy and a righteous God this morning. Have you ever realized your deepest need, that of total forgiveness for all your sins? The Bible tells us very clearly that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
Romans 3.10. And that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Now, what does all of that mean? It means that every one of us is a sinner, not only by nature, but also by deeds, and as such, is already headed for a place called hell, a place of torment and judgment, because sin, even one, separates us from God. But God, who is also loved, does not want anyone to perish. He doesn't wish for anyone to end up in that awful place of separation, and so he sent his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for all our sins. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He and he alone took our punishment for our sins on the cross of Calvary. His blood and his blood alone cleanses us all from sin. He alone paid that one perfect sacrifice some 2,000 years ago on that old rugged cross so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. So I ask you again, where do you stand today? Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? There are only two possibilities. There are only two choices. I trust that Everyone here this morning is truly saved and serving him. But if perchance you are not sure, won't you turn to him this morning and receive him as your Lord and Savior while there is still yet time? He will not turn anyone away. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this book called the Holy Bible. We thank thee that we still have the freedom in this country today to study it whenever we will. And Father, as we continue to study and to read its holy pages, we pray that we might be drawn closer to our first love, that we might be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior, and become more like him each day. We thank thee for this morning's service and the time of fellowship and the joy that we have experienced as a family of God. We ask thee now to part us with thy blessings, keep us from sin and harm's way, and once again, if the Lord be not come, May it please thee to bring us together again next Lord's Day around his table. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen.